be back with you. Um, if you're unaware, I do have notes in the back again, um, and you can either get them yourself, or if you raise your hand, maybe somebody will take sympathy on you and help you out. I can make no promises. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4 this evening. Let's go to the text, and then we will uh, dive in from there. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. There is, therefore, now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Let's go to Lord in a word of prayer, and then we'll dive in. Father, we do thank you for who you are. We thank you for the fact that there is no condemnation, that you have provided a means for us to come into a relationship with you and to live a life that honors and glorifies you. We pray that uh, these words would encourage our hearts and challenge us as we go through this week. And in your name we pray, amen. As I go through life, I often find myself discouraged by trials. I find myself discouraged by lots and lots of different kinds of trials. Um, a lot of times the trials that we're discouraged by are, you know, very physical in nature. You know, a car breaks down, there's a leak in the roof, there's a problem with some appliance in the kitchen. It could be a health problem. Um, our neighbor on Thursday um, woke me up to the sound of wailing and I knew by the sound of that wailing that somebody had died. Like, you just know because that's that sound. That's a big trial. A six-month-old baby boy passes away. That's a huge trial. Um, but there's other kinds of trials as well. There are trials that are as a result of our own sin. Um, and the difficulty of dealing with, you know, just the emotions that come with my own sin. Um, one of the things that shocked me was probably, I don't know, a week and a half after we brought Anastasia home, um, Bethany had fed Anastasia. Anastasia should have been happy. Um, she had a clean diaper. She had parents that loved her. Um, she had um, a full belly and a warm blanket. And it was like midnight. And she would not sleep. And Bethany's like, I'm like trying to hold Anastasia and be like, stop crying, stop crying, it's okay, I got you. And she would have none of it, absolutely none of it. So after about an hour, so it's about one o'clock now, Bethany finally comes downstairs and Bethany holds the baby, like that, stops crying. And I was angry, like, what's up? I was angry at my daughter, like, am I not good enough? What's wrong with me, okay? And, and so as I'm like, Reflecting on that, and I'm going over the same type of questions that we talked about when we went through good and angry, and I'm thinking, why do I do that? Why do I 
get angry so often and, and get angry at something so innocent and so sweet as my little daughter. Why? That's frustrating. It's aggravating. Why do we do that? And so Paul's going to tell us about the comfort that we have as believers in Romans chapter 8. And so Paul writes Romans 8 to comfort believers in all situations of life, whether it be our own sin that brings things into our lives that are trials, or whether it be just the fact that we live in a sinful, fallen world. <laughs> Romans 8 points us to the comfort that we have as believers. So the big idea is that Christians, freed from the law, walk according to the Spirit. Okay? Christians, freed from the law, walk according to the Spirit. And Paul's going to develop how we're supposed to live. But as he does that and he develops this argument that you're supposed to live a different way because there's a different mechanism that you live under. And as he does that, as he does that he's going to develop for us different areas of the Christian life that should provide us comfort as we go through uh, the trials of life. Whether they be my own sin at being angry at my daughter because she won't stop crying and it's midnight, it's time to sleep. Or whether it be the frustrations over, we're living in a sinful world, so uh, leaks happen in your appliances at home, Leak ha leaks happen in your house, leaks happen in your car. It's just life. Okay. So Paul begins in verse 1, and he says that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Some translations go on and add, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I, if you notice, did not read that section of the verse um, as we went through uh, my first reading. Why did I not do that? I think it's actually because that when they were copying it, they actually copied it too many times. So they copied it from verse 4 and put it in verse 1. But as believers, what is it that is the restriction on who is not under condemnation? Why am I not under condemnation? I'm not under condemnation because I'm in Christ Jesus. Once for all. And it's done. So if you go on and you add this, this continued statement, who do not walk according to the... Uh, I messed up. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Okay, you're adding another condition upon which there is no condemnation. So I think that this is a true statement, okay? I just think it's not to be found in verse 1. It's to be found in verse 4. It's dealing with sanctification, so how we live out our faith, not salvation. What is salvation? Salvation is, are you in Christ? Okay. It'll probably become a little bit more clear as we deal with verse 4, and I explain to you how we walk according to the Spirit and how that is something that we do as believers, not something to become a believer. Okay. So he says that there's no condemnation, so there's no lostness or estrangement from God. None. We're completely not guilty of anything before God. And that is because of one restriction. We are in Christ. And so as we think about what does it mean to be in Christ, it means that we've placed our faith in the finished work of Christ. Our good deeds alone are insufficient to bring us to a saving knowledge of God. 
And so what he's saying is, if you have accepted Christ's finished work on your behalf, then you are in Christ. And if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation. Yeah, you might sin. You might sin like I did and get angry at your daughter because she won't sleep and you don't know what she wants. Or you might um, sin in another way, uh, whether it be like um, uh, going to Netflix and binge watching a show to escape and to find comfort through that. Or you might escape by buying nice things. You could go and buy a nice, nice house or a nice car and try to find your escape through that. But whatever it is, it doesn't ultimately satisfy. So he goes on and he says, we stand justified and righteous because we are in Christ. We have received his free gifts on our behalf. So how, though, is this accomplished? So he's going to talk about, he says that we're, there's no condemnation. But then he goes on in verse 2 and he's going to say that we're free. Verse 2 through 3. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son and the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin and the flesh. So what Paul's saying is. Paul continues by pointing our attention to a new relationship we have with the Holy Spirit and the law. So he says, the Old Testament law code that Moses wrote is not something that we live under still today. Rather, we live under the Holy Spirit. And you might be sitting here and saying, well, how do you know that it's talking about the law code? Why couldn't it refer to something else? Why couldn't it maybe refer to parts of the law code? There's, there's a... A lot of people, um, how soon should we understand as believers the law? There's a lot of people that are believers that would say, you know, that the law code isn't a unit, but rather it's um, three different parts. So that there's the civil, the ceremonial, and the moral aspects of the law code. And so when Christ says that he fulfilled the law, he fulfilled the law in the um, ceremonial and civil aspects, but you're still under the moral aspects of the law. You have to fulfill those moral aspects of the law. But why do I say that it's one unit? I think as we go through, you will see that Paul argues in Romans chapter 7 and 2 Corinthians 3 that the law is a unit. You can't divide it. So go with me to Romans chapter 7 verses 1 through 7. Paul understood the law as a unit. So we're looking at the very the previous chapter to Romans chapter 8, and Paul is going to talk about uh, the same type of idea, that we're no longer under the law, we're under something else. Okay, And that's in the first couple of verses. And he's going to illustrate it by marriage and adultery. Okay, Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. So you are under the law, as long as you live. That's what he's saying. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. Okay? So if you get married to somebody, you're supposed to stay married to them for as long as your spouse lives. 
But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband still lives, she marries another, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Okay? So now he's going to take it from this illustration outside of the law, and he's going to say, what does this look like in this relationship with the law and the Christian? Verse 4, therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law. How is this done? Through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another. To him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit, and not in the oldness of the letter. Remember that he's, he's, he's talking about the newness of the spirit and the oldness of the letter. He's referring with the word letter to the law. Okay. Now you might be saying, David, you just said that you're going to answer the question and show us that you know when Paul talks here, he's talking about the law as a unit, as a whole, and not just simply saying that you're not under the civil and ceremonial aspects of the law, but that you're not under any part of the law. What are... The moral aspects of the law. The moral aspects of the law are a very nice example of them would be the Ten Commandments, right? We would agree that those would be moral laws, okay? What does Paul say in verse 7? What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except the law. For I would not have known Covetousness, thou shalt not covet, unless the law had said, you shall not covet. So he's illustrating what the law is, right after telling us that you're not under the law, and he points to the moral aspects of the law. Believers are not under the law. So as you try to live a life that honors and glorifies and pleases God, you don't go to the Old Testament law. You go to grace. You go to the spirit. You allow yourself to be controlled by and walk according to the spirit. Paul continues, though, the same type of idea in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. If you would turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. And in this context, Paul's going to begin before he actually gets into this discussion of what is the law and what is the spirit and what is our relationship to this. Before Paul gets there, he's going to say, um, you know, there are some people in your church that don't think that I'm qualified to minister. And you guys want me to write a letter of accommodation. And he says, I don't need that letter of accommodation. You guys are my letter of accommodation. I ministered to you, so you don't need a letter of accommodation. Chapter 3, <clears throat> verse 1. Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or do we need as some other epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered, by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Okay? So we have the Spirit, 
And then what does he say next? Not on the tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. Verse 4. And we have such trust through Christ to, toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter, that is the law, kills, but the spirit gives life. If you try to live a life that honors and glorifies God by keeping the law, you will be a very sad Christian. You will not succeed. You have to submit yourself and walk according to the Spirit. You have to go under grace. He continues in verse 7. But if the ministry of death, so he's talking about the law, and he's going to talk about the glory in it, glory of this law. And he's going to talk and he's going to say, this ministry that I'm saying is death was actually glorious. And if that ministry of death is glorious, how much more the ministry of God's grace through his Holy Spirit? Isn't that much more glorious? Verse 7. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his, of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, that is the law, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies in their hearts. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, freedom. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Okay, So he's making a strong argument that we're supposed to live a different way and that we're supposed to be controlled not by the law but by the spirit <laughs> so Christ's death transfers us from being under the law to being under the spirit and he's saying you and I are incapable on our own to fulfill the law we can't do it there is no way for me and you to fulfill the law Verse 3, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. So God has conquered the law, so you don't have to. You're no longer under law, you're under the spirit. So Christ came in the flesh. 
So he gets in here and he's talking about what Christ has accomplished. He says, Christ has come and he's lived a sinless, perfect life for you and for me. And if we trust him, then we are transferred from a state where we are under the law to a state where we are under grace. We're under the Holy Spirit's control. And so in verse 4 then, he says, walking according to the Spirit. So what does it look like? What does it mean to walk according to the Spirit? How is that accomplished? Verse 4. That the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Okay? The righteous requirements of the law are fulfilled in us. Not the law, but the requirements of it. What the law meant to do, it could not do because we're not able to fulfill the law. But when we submit to the Spirit, when we allow Him to control our lives, then we're able to live a life that honors and glorifies God, and then the righteous requirements of the law are fulfilled in us. So the believer is now able to live according to the flesh or according to the spirit. And Paul, as we go through Romans chapter 8, uses um, very specific language. So, so throughout chapter 8, Paul uses specific language to refer to those who are believers and those who are not believers. Believers are said to be in Christ. And unbelievers are said to be in the flesh. Okay, So when you go a little further into the um, text, you'll see that he's beginning to use other terminology. <coughs> there are no sub subcategories for unbelievers. So a believer is in Christ. An unbeliever is in the flesh. But there are categories for Believers, So you can either live according to the flesh or according to the spirit. And so he's encouraging us to live according to the spirit, to submit ourselves to the spirit. And as we do that, we honor and we glorify God. This should motivate us to good works because we are no longer under condemnation in verse 1 he tells us you're not under condemnation and then he goes on and he tells us in verses 2 through 3 that we're set free and that Christ has paid the penalty and made us free and then in verse 4 he says this was all done you're no longer under condemnation Christ has paid the penalty and you are set free so that you will live a life that honors and glorifies God. So, it calls us to ask a couple of questions. And, and the first question is, um, are you in Christ or in the flesh? Have you received the free gift of salvation? Do you understand what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf? As we've gone through 
um, Ephesians chapter 2, the last couple of weeks, we've talked about how um, this is who we were. We were walking in the course of this world, and then God came, and he made us alive. He raised us, and he seated us. And he's done this, and if we accept him by faith, and we say, I realize I'm a sinner. I'm unworthy. I'm unable to receive salvation on my own, and we call out to him, then we're saved. And the purpose is that we would live in good works. And so if you're here today and you're not sure that you are no longer under, con under no condemnation, a lot of our songs focused on that idea of that there's no condemnation. And if you are singing those songs and you're not sure, is that describing who I am, then you need to seek out um, somebody to talk to tonight. But if you are a believer, um, there's a lot of comfort that we can have as believers as we look at some of the implications that come out of this text. What comfort? We have all sinned, and yet God chooses to hold none of our sins against us. There is no condemnation. No matter how I've sinned, how angry I get with Anastasia, or how angry I get with uh, people that make unreasonable, and I use that um, kind of uh, loosely, unreasonable requests at work. You know, I mean, why do I have to give you guys toilet paper? Come on, I'm being facetious. Okay? But that's kind of how we can kind of approach work sometimes. Um, or how frustrated you may get at your family, or maybe you spend too much time watching um, TV, or maybe you don't spend time studying God's word like you should. Whatever the case is, if you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. And that should encourage us. That's what Paul's trying to do is, he's trying to say, Believers should be encouraged. Believers should have comfort because of what God has accomplished on our behalf. But he goes on, he says, well, comfort, I am not responsible for saving myself. Christ has paid the penalty, and all I must do is place my faith in his finished work. And so verses 2 through 3 talk about the fact that Christ came in the flesh. Especially verse 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. I am unable to do that. And Christ has paid the penalty. I have access to God. Very much like Anne Cannot B says, bold you can now approach the throne of grace. And as believers, we have the responsibility to do that. Not only for requesting things from him, but also to get strength so that we can live a life that honors and glorifies him. But also, verse 4 talks about the comfort that we have in how we are designed. We have the ability, through Christ, to please God through not my own power, but through his. So as I submit to the will of God, and th through that I am able to live a life that pleases God. And so as you 
think about these passages, as you think about um, the following verses, Paul's going to continue to encourage believers. And he's not only doing it by pointing us in uh, the middle of chapter 8, he's going to talk about the new creation and how this earth groans and yearns for a time when it is restored. When Jesus comes back and all the trials and heartaches of life, when death is no more, when you don't have to have the cars repaired, when there's no implications because of you and I's sin. But even today, there is comfort. We're under no condemnation. Christ has paid the penalty for our sins. And we're able to live a life that honors and glorifies him. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for the ability that we have to come before you and to um, live a life that honors and glorifies you. We pray that as we go through this next week that we would be willing to depend on you and that we would as such, live a life that honors and glorifies you. In your name we pray. Amen.